Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hello and welcome to this very special edition of Pilot Episodes. The reason for that wonderful VOAC music in the background is because this week's episode comes from British Airways training base in Heathrow. Myself, Goddard and Dunk are all going to have a little play with their A380 simulator. Firstly, a quick thanks to those very fine gentlemen, Mike and Andy, from British Airways that made this happen. However, I must stress that the following does not happen at 30,000 feet. Enjoy. So, here we go. I'm going to try and fly this thing. This is an A380. I've literally never flown anything before, so I'm, well, I guess I'm going to try and take this off, right? Yeah. So, uh, Mike is effectively our training captain today, mm-hmm. so he's uh, he's from British Airways. Could you just give us a little bit of your background, Mike? Yeah, sure. Um, so, I've been in British Airways for 27 years or so, after university, um, and I've been on various fleets, an instructor on various fleets, and at the moment I manage the uh, 380 fleet. But the, the plan is that with sort of minimal instruction to see, you know, if JB can get this get this thing off the ground and then uh, and then back on the ground at some point. So absolutely, it'll be it'll be fascinating to see how that how that goes. Okay. Well, the most important thing, first of all, is um, to get him comfortable. So whilst I'm quickly teeing up the simulator, perhaps <coughs> Dutch, you can have a yeah. show them the, the comforts of the right hand seat. Indeed. Okay. Um, so JB. If you put your uh, your hands down here, these uh, two switches, uh-huh. so one moves Ooh. the seat up and down. Got it. Uh, so get yourself, put your feet onto the rudder pedals just there, and if you push this, the, the switch behind you forward, there you go. Oh, wow. Keep going. Keep no. going. He's keep excited already about just keep moving going. the seat around. Keep going. Mind your hands. So, oh, wow. Look at that. So actually, oh, you start see. going forward. So what you can do now is put your... Um, put your hand between your legs, yep. uh, but a bit further forward than not you normally do. Yep. Um, uh, just down there, uh-huh. and there's a little. That's it. Pull that back towards you, oh. and then push your hands forward a little. Oh, yeah. Thank that's you. That's it. it. Is someone else in here an instructor? Is it just you two? He's skull crushing already. <laughs> hey, we should have. We've got another introduction to make, though, which is that the, we've got two British Airways pilots in here today, and uh, the senior first officer that you could just hear. There was uh, Andy Dutch Holland, who is an ex Air Force pilot, flew Tornado GR4s, and uh, we instructed together at Valley. Just introduce yourself a little more, Dutch. Thanks, Dunk. Uh, hello, I'm, as you say, uh, Andy Holland, 
also known as Dutch. I spent 18 years in the Air Force. Um, I saw the lights. I left about <laughs> 10 years ago, and uh, and I joined British Airways, where I flew the A320 uh, fleet of aircraft for about five years, and uh, and then I moved to the 380, which is where I've been for the last five years. Right. So um, before I do this, I'm just giving my general impressions of what I think is going on here. Mm-hmm. I assume these 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 are engines. Absolutely. Trust uh, levers for the engines. I assume this will get me into direction. So that looks like a stick. Yeah. Now everything else is a complete and utter mystery. Okay. Everything else. And what but are you looking at, JB? Just a bunch of screens. I'm li- I'm looking at what I can describe as maybe six, seven iPad screens. I've got a little keyboard here. Presumably that's for WhatsApp. <laughs> and then I've got a on oh, one of them I've got like a mouse and I've got looks like flaps. I don't even know what flaps do. So um I don't know. We'll leave we'll leave that as it is. Okay. <laughs> um, a little bit of flaps is good. Yeah. So, okay, well then yeah, I think we just ejected the gin and yeah. tonic mix. Right, okay. So <laughs> my theory here, having never flown before, is I'm gonna put these these engines to absolute maximum and eventually the airspeed will get me in the get me in the air. Oh, she gone. So in front of you is the primary flying display. Ah, okay. So this is on iPad One, if you, if you like. Yeah. Okay. So perhaps if you describe what it looks like. So that to me looks like um, it looks like it's going to tell me if I'm level and if I'm going to go up or down. And I guess the brown bit is the ground and the blue bit is is is, is the sky, right? Exactly. And the the yellow bits here, the little L's on their side, if you like, are the wings of the aircraft. Ah, right. Okay. So what you're going to do, quite right, you're going to put some power on the engines. Now, would you, would you just say put all the power on? Um, we could we could go for a full power takeoff. We don't normally do that because we're trying to save the engines as much as possible. There's no reason why we couldn't do that. But we'll do that. Uh-huh. We'll accelerate down the runway. So the speed's the other thing you're going to be interested in. So uh, where's the speed? That is a good question. Speed. Speed, speed, speed. Uh... Here it is on the primary flying display. And it's a okay. speed tape. Why is it speed tape? Why is it not just, just a, a readout? A, a speedo, you mean? Yeah, yeah. Well, well, well on older airplanes it would have been a speedo, yeah. but that's just how it's represented on, on a more modern aircraft, I guess. The main design is, is what you're wanting to do, is get as much information in one sort of focal area uh, it's on the primary flying display, which means your scan doesn't have to be flitting around. Right, are you ready to go? Am yeah. I ready to let you go? That's the probably most important question. I think so. Okay. Yeah. So how are you going to keep it straight? Uh, I don't have a clue. With Brothers your rudder pedals. Yeah, 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 that's a great, that's a great point. Okay, well, let's, I suppose that's just... Go here we go. Shoulder. So, um... Good luck, everyone. <coughs> At this point... Is there a bridge to the Wow, this is quite... And your other hand, on the stick. That makes sense. Oh, here we go. Wow. The, it feels good, doesn't it? <laughs> this, this feels phenomenal. It really feels like you're accelerating. It, this is unbelievable. So here you go. Speed's starting to indicate. Okay, that makes sense. And when we um, get to the magic number, I'm going to ask you to rotate. Oh, that's where the speed is, right? I was looking on the other side. Okay. And so then you're just going to come up to around about 12 and a half degrees. 12 and a half. How would you get a bit left? So a tiny bit of right. Beat one. Okay, if you rotate now, so if you just gently pull back. Oh, wow, look at that. There we go. Hey. And then if you look down on your instruments, that's it. And you can just. Keep it right there. In fact, the flight director's coming to help oh, you. Good effort. Excellent. Am I going a bit? So now we're going a bit high. Yeah. So if you look down at this instrument here, remember our target was going to be around about 12 and a half degrees. Oh, right. Okay. Degrees. Okay. So I'm massively over that then. 
Are the wheels still down? They are. JB. Okay, so where would I find the wheels at, at this stage? So that a lot of the a lot of the controls have clues in their shapes. <laughs> right. So I bet. I bet. Uh. Is it that? Yeah. Just Crikey. pull it out towards you. I was going to say I'm. I know. I'm, re- I'm relatively strong, but that was. Uh, Wow. So that's so you don't inadvertently knock it up. That? Yes. Ah, ah is that right? Yeah. I guess. That's very, very small. It's very it's very impressive like, all, all of the small details. So we're off heading over London now, yeah? We are, off towards the city. Yeah. So you could start knocking off some of the power. Okay. So we come back to the another click back. There we go. Okay, what's the noise? That's saying you've bust your altitude. I'm, I'm, I'm too high. You're too high, yeah. So, obviously, normally you'd be clear to a certain altitude out of London. We had something set nominally. And it's telling you uh, you're now okay. deviating from that altitude. Excellent. So, why would you set at only 4,000 feet over London? Why not higher? Well, typically out of London, it'd actually be 6,000 foot. Yeah. Ah, it's just what you've set. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. And how long would you want me to climb this thing for? Are you ready to level off? Why not? Okay. There's some gin and tonics got spilled. <laughs> so now we're starting to accelerate so we can start to clean the aircraft up. What does that mean? That means bringing in the flaps. Okay, so and there's an indicator here to show you what the flaps are doing. So I think, did I see flaps four? That's so you wear a flaps two, and okay. I'll now move to flaps one. And now, they can do, now you can do the last bit, so you can go all the way to clean. Okay, because that just makes the aircraft more efficient. Yeah. Wow, it's pretty cool. So do we want to start heading back? Yeah. Okay. There we go. Anyone listening? And climb, we could. Yeah. For anyone listening, we now in a. So if you now go back down to around about ten degrees, now pissed into a barrel roll. Yeah. Our mics remained remarkably calm. I have great faith in the flight control protection. It would be like an. It would be like a scene out of Airplane. Did anyone see that down the back? And in fact, it's quite a good demonstration. So we're now very low on the airspeed, but all sorts of protections are, are kicking in for us. So okay. it's now applied full, full power. Oh, excellent. Wow. Okay, so I've not actually touched. I've not no. a- actually touched anything on the. And um, it's not really allowing you to go any slower. No. Yeah. That's re- that's very small. So um, I'm going to just turn it, turn it around and head towards Heathrow again. Yeah, just Heathrow, land, so just under the nose. Is it? Yeah. Now, actually, this is. This is a great point. Where is Heathrow? How would I find it? Because I'm just looking out the window now, but there must be a better way. Well, that is the best way. Is it? On a day like today, it would be the best day, but you have got a graphical representation of something you call the navigation display, uh-huh. which is down here. Okay. Can you see it though, Jay? I can see it now. Now, I'm not going to lie. I know it's only a simulator, but it, it's very nerve-wracking just looking at the thing. So we're now recovering from our low speed state with the nose down. Yep. Straight down. And I think we're now going to start exploring the uh, <laughs> high speed protection. <laughs> so, is it going to limit us to idle in a minute? Well, be interesting to see. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So, um, should I take some power off, maybe? Well, let's see what it, let's let's see what the aeroplane does. So, we're now going through three twenty knots. Well, so can, you, can you see how quickly it's accelerating? Just leave the yeah. thrust levers where they are. Okay. Okay. So, it's sort of a that clue we're not doing what we should be doing. Doesn't sound like and, noise. Yeah. So what's the aircraft doing? I, th- I believe the aircraft is telling me not to point the nose at the runway. Yeah, that's why I think. So it's you're good. probably feeling it's pitching up. Yeah. Yeah, it is. Okay. So if I want to get okay, it's 
So does it want me to do something, or is it just going to... Until you get to a reasonable speed again, it's going to keep doing that. But right. the protections are just a recovery. Very shortly, it's going to stop ringing. There we go. Wow, that's amazing. So, um, I'd say, what I've learned is, if you want to land an aircraft, don't point the nose towards the runway. Exactly. Okay. Not without taking a little bit of the power off. All right, so, so, so far, I've been fairly jovial about this. Let's actually, let's actually put some real effort into this and try and land it. So, so, I think we probably need to introduce the flight director to you for that. Okay, then. To make it work. So... See the two green lights see green on your lines. primary flying display? Yes, I see. You see the little square in the middle? Yes. To fly the flight director accurately, you want to put that little square over the cross of the two green lines. Okay. Crikey. Oop, that's not it. Ugh. This is remarkably hard. <laughs> right. So. Okay. So one line is for, for roll and the other is for pitch. So the vertical line is telling you to, to turn right towards it. Hang on, hang on. So I need to point the thing. Uh -huh. okay. This line here is below, so you now want to just lower the nose slightly towards it. Okay. So what is it? What is this flight director doing exactly? So right? we're, we're we're telling it what to do, and actually what we're asking it to do at the moment is to fly a heading and to fly level. Uh. So when you have that little square right over the cross, we should be constant on a heading maintaining an altitude understood so how much would you expect your pilots to be looking at this and how much would you expect them to be looking out the window um yeah absolutely so civil aviation really you're looking out the window for the very first moments of flight and the very last moments of flight so what i'm going to program it to do now is for us to descend Okay. And get us onto an approach at Heathrow. So now, will the flight director tell me that? Or is if I program it correctly? Yeah. So, just that for a moment. So, at the moment, I've now selected a new mode. These are the modes up here. Yes. It tells us what I've asked it to do. And I asked it to, to go to over descent. So, it's going to start descending. Okay. So, let's just disconnect the order thrust for a moment. Re-engage it. It will now give us idle power. And if you raise the nose slightly, it should take us out of high speed. There we go. Okay. Now you can start to follow the flight director. So if you start to bring it right, okay. There we go. So if we want to just speed up the descent. We can try speed brakes out. These are speed brakes out. These put little panels up on the wing, which add drag. So this is a speed brake lever here. Got you. You just pull that down to full. Again, everything is um, everything requires you to either pull it out or push it in before you move it. And you'll feel the sort of a rumble. That's sort of the buffet. And is that what you feel with? And that's increasing the rate of descent. Right. Back in the middle rather than just using the stick. Okay. And is the flight director just going to push it in sort of? Well, what I'm asking it to do at the moment is I'm just putting it in a bit of an orbit to bring us round and lose the height. Yeah. And hopefully during that process you'll get used to just following the flight director and eventually we'll put you on an ILS. So, uh, you and I would be flying together. What would, what would you be doing, doing now if I was flying or what would I be doing if you were flying? So, Principally, what I'm doing now, monitoring you. So, okay. and, and that's and that's really the premise of two crew is you're always backing each other up. 
Um, so, what I'm doing now is I'm just putting you in an orbit, okay. and we're going to eventually put you on the ILS. Have you heard of an ILS? Never heard of one. An ILS, Instrument Landing System, is, um, is a way of guiding an aircraft in towards the airport on a nice, steady um, glide path. And it's guiding you both laterally, okay. so in direction, and also in your vertical path. Got you. And what we'll do is we'll fly on a rather a three degree path towards Heathrow. And that's what everyone is using to all the main airports around the world. Uh, see, and, and this is all standardised, I, mm. I guess. So, th so this is all, all standardised stuff throughout the globe. ILS is pretty much everywhere. Not everywhere. It's good. Yeah, it's doing well. It's almost a learning curve, Jamie. Um, well, it's work, working out. We're on it anyway. <laughs> Which means it Feels like I'm descending rather quickly. I think I am descending rather quickly. Absolutely. So what's going to happen fairly shortly when we get the 3,000 foot is it's going to ask you to level off. Okay. So you can almost anticipate what will happen is is it's going to ask you to raise the nose slightly. Okay. Um, how many degrees nose down is it showing on the, uh, on the um, flight there? Oh. So there we go, it's gone into an altitude capture mode, So and it's just asking you to gently bring the nose up. We're actually got auto thrust in at the moment, so great that you've got your hand on the thrust levers, but actually the auto thrust is looking after itself. Ah, uh, right, okay. So have you set an airspeed as well now? Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. 2,500. Well, rather alarmingly, at this range that he threw, we're doing 300 knots at the moment, but um, <laughs> I'm taking care of that at the moment. So we're quite quick, Jamie. Are we? And I guess, is that one of the problems, slowing these things down? Because the momentum, you know, with yeah, absolutely. 30... Yeah, yeah. That was the one thing, Parky, that, uh, that I uh, discovered when I joined. Oh, so if you keep flying yeah, to the south... 380 so. tonnes to slow down. Yeah, yeah. And, yeah. Uh, it, it, they are so slippery. Yes. Yeah. And you have to think so far in advance yeah. Yeah. to... Uh, and we can get rid of the speed brake. Okay. So, we're going to push it forward. And I'll start slowing you up. Essentially, the flaps oh. allow us to fly slower. Utter concentration on JB now. There's no, there's no talking. What, what's your name, JB? <laughs> <laughs> so, if you follow the flight director, and I'm just going to start guiding it. So, asking to turn left. There you go, nailed it. So you see, JB, it's sort of smaller corrections and anticipated. Yeah, much smaller. And very yeah. shortly, we'll turn you in towards Heathrow. Okay. So I'm just going to turn you onto base leg. Okay. Which is at sort of right angles, essentially, to the inbound path. There's going to be a left turn. And all the little knob that you were... So that, that's what I'm using to control the flight director. So I've asked it to fly a heading right. at 180. And it's providing you the guidance on the flight directors. I didn't. I did not realise that. So you're yeah. you're manually you're manually setting it here. This is in the yeah, actual exactly. airport. Yeah. He's driving you around the sky, Jamie. Yeah. That's very. That's you're very my smart. autopilot, basically. <coughs> but to be fair, so I might be taking back the shops. JB <laughs> <laughs> uh, is now doing a bloody good job of following the flight director. Absolutely. Well, yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah. And actually, if you look out, you can just about see some of the lights on the train. See the four red puppy lights. Yes, I can. Ah, so how, how many miles are we then from Heathrow at the moment? So we're thirteen point four miles. So really? Frankly, hmm. speeds now come back to what one eighty, one ninety. Yeah, and this like would that. be a typical sort of speed that we'd be manoeuvring at this yeah. range. We're maintaining around about three thousand. So all that goes. Okay, so I'll just move the 
the heading bug for you. So now you're going to turn on to what we call an intercept heading. I'll just start you on a very gentle descent. So fairly shortly now, it's going to start giving you guidance to turn and line up with the runway. So be ready for that. The flight director will suddenly pop off to the left. So, um, yeah, kind of establishing now. We've gone slightly through the centre line, but the, the guidance is... So we're 180 knots, 8.6 miles. If I was flying with Dutch, we'd probably be starting to get a bit twitchy. Yeah, <laughs> just a bit. So we probably want to start slowing up even more. Okay. So we go for flat two. And you can put your landing gear down. Oh, right. So this is the part where you really need to concentrate on keeping that little square over the flight director. Okay. It's giving you very accurate information now. I can only imagine. Okay. So you can go for flat three. So next next stage of flat. Is that the aircraft telling me, or is that you just telling me that? That's just, that's just me telling you that, really. So. We are nice. now fully established on okay. the ILS, looking quite stable. Now the ILS, okay, you were speaking about the ILS before, so that is just incorporated into the flight. Yeah, into the, the flight actual raw indications are here and here. Okay. And now we're just going back to our final approach speed, which is stabilising it now. What is that, like 150, 140? 140 knots. Slow, isn't it, for something so, yeah. something so big? When, when my wheels touch the, touch the ground here, yeah. um, what speed should I be doing? Well, you'll be slightly under that approach speed. Okay. The speed will just very slightly wash away as you take the power off. Which brings us on to the landing technique. Right. So, you're just going to keep following this flight director really, really accurately. 1,000. I wouldn't... I wouldn't get too preoccupied with the visual picture at this stage. It's not you're probably not so it's turning turn turn right just now. Turn to the right. Turn right, Jamie. Right, the window, right, the yeah. there. See the run. Sorry, That's parking That's instructional it. technique. Look out the window. <laughs> Runway's there, mate. Once. <laughs> in terms of the big picture, you know. <laughs> Don't worry about it, parking. That's it. So that's giving you an appropriate direction. Brace, brace, brace. <laughs> <laughs> So when we get to around about 40 foot, and we'll hear an auto call for that, you're just going to simply close the thrust levers, okay. and you're going to gently start pulling back on the stick. Okay. So at about this stage, the guys will, will take, an, take an aiming point, which is about level with the four lights to the left of the runway there. Okay. You look out now, Yep. and you want to aim for that point. Four lights, I cannot see four lights. Four lights to the left of the runway, and you're going to aim for the runway. Okay. That's it. Keep it coming down. One hundred. Fifty. Close the Thirty. Twenty. Retard. Pull back gently and hold that. Hold that. Pull your reverse, which is the levers here. Well done, mate. We're down. We're down. <laughs> a bit of left pedal. There we go. That was actually not as terrifying as I thought. You've got sweaty parts. So, at some stage, before we get to the end of the runway, we'll need to apply the brakes. Okay, so the brakes are squeeze your toes on the top of the rudder pedals. I guess it's got full anti skid. Wait, yeah, we it's not the brakes. Wow. How does it recreate this movement? It's unbelievable. 
and then you can stow the reverses, so you put the reverses back forward, and then you just bring it to a gentle halt. This might be odd. <laughs> <laughs> I'll just stop it. Yeah. Wow, that was incredible. Thank you much. And there's your, your handbrake. Deep now where do I pick up my 100 grand a year? The <laughs> <laughs> Dutch has got that. <laughs> <laughs> my wife's got that. So after comprehensively failing my interview with VA, I talked to Mike about the simulations. I also hand over to the professionals and watch our highly trained, taxpayer-funded Gardens of the Sky Realm well, take on a crosswind and numerous technical failures. Just give me a little bit of information about this simulator. I mean, what kind of cost is it to build one of these things? I don't know the exact cost of, uh, of this, but they're somewhere between 10 and 15 million, uh, a modern simulator. Yeah. And you have only 16 of them here? Only 16 of them, yeah. So, what's your precise role? Are you, um, are you restricting only on A380, or do you... Uh, Instruct across a range of aircraft flown by BA. I have done, but uh, in a career in, in the airline, you will generally just fly one type and, and instruct on one type. Yeah. So, um, so I started instructing on DC-10s a long time ago. I retired many, many years ago from the airline. Yeah. Uh, instructed on 737s three-twenties and then obviously the last five years And how are you enjoying the, the 380? Yes, fantastic aeroplane. I was, I was involved in the, the journey right from the beginning when we took the delivery of the first aircraft uh, and that's that's something that doesn't happen very often uh, in an airline when you introduce a new type. And the 380 uh, is a great aeroplane, a new aeroplane. It's got lots of great technology on it, uh, but it poses its own challenges, mainly due to the size. Okay. Yeah. So when you say just size, you're talking about things like the infrastructure to land the thing, or yeah, it's more about manoeuvring on the ground. Um, Flying-wise, it flies like any other modern jet airliner. Um, but um, manoeuvring around the ground in tight areas, that's that's where you get a bit of a headache. Now, in front of me is the instructor seat. What, what things do you like to test your new pilots with? Well, there are, there are certain things we have to test them on. Uh, so... Uh, there are certain regular checks that we have to do on our pilots, and, and that, that will normally include engine failures, okay. um, but also uh, a number of other sort of system malfunctions, <laughs> which will, in some way or form, degrade um, the functionality of the aircraft. Um, there's a huge amount of redundancy built into all modern aircraft now. There's usually at least two systems. Um, uh, for, for each area uh, of the aircraft um, and very often three or four systems associated with it so um, so very often what we're just getting into is um, what it would be like with a single failure um, and, and what impact that would have on, on the operation of the aircraft which will be some impact but not a dramatic impact Dunk who is currently in the, uh, in the captain's seat there claims he could quite comfortably win the Red Bull Air Race in fact he's very confident of his uh, abilities as a pilot so at what point should we uh, start putting additional conditions on them 
Well, we could certainly look at uh, an engine failure fairly early on. Shall we do that now? So we've got a selection of malfunctions we can introduce for any system, really. But if I go to uh, what would be engines... So what would be the most devastating? Multiple engine failures would obviously would be difficult. I mean, depending on the weight, you could just fly on a single a single engine, um, but not always. Shall we fail an engine? But we could certainly have a look at um, failing an engine. So... Here we go. Now, a good captain would just let it go and wait to the beat. We, we didn't dip it, did we? So, we've just failed engine we four, just, right? Two F-16 boys, we just... Um, oh, right, you weren't, okay. you weren't flying. Oh, so, we've just failed an, failed an engine. And I suppose, from a flying perspective, what's most interesting about that is you probably didn't notice it. No. Um, hang on, let's have a have they just been warned that we, that we did that? Yeah, exactly. So they've received a warning to say that there's been an engine failure uh, through our electronic uh, monitoring system. And they are now going to start applying a drill if they follow the drill that's up in front of them. And that's all about securing the engine. So have you got the protocols already built into the aircraft for these things? Yeah, yeah absolutely. That's yeah. amazing. So most faults will be monitored and, and, and will automatically supply the procedure to follow. To follow. So how long, okay, say, what, so the procedure for this, so we'll go through the steps and then they'll come out with the outcome, the right outcome. Uh, how long would you expect that? Would you expect them to establish that? To go through the drill? Yes. Um, the drill itself needn't take a, a huge amount of time. I mean, one of the big things we're teaching guys in the in the simulator is to prioritise. Um, so, very often a failure, as, as we just saw there, losing an engine did not have a dramatic effect. And the most important thing was the guys carried on flying the aeroplane. They made sure they knew where they were going, that they were flying as cleared, or, uh, or if they were visually flying, that they were maintaining the flight path they wanted to. And, and once you've got that secure, then you can look at doing, doing the drill. So, do you think they've recovered relatively well here? So, it looks like the flying is being looked after. And actually, it's an interesting case, really. This is, this is what would happen on a multi-crew aircraft. So, um, the pilot in the right-hand seat is concentrating on flying the aircraft. So, he's just making sure that we don't fly into any hills, that we don't plunge into the sea and that, uh, uh, and that we carry on as, as expected, whilst the other guys look at the drill. Yes, so we've only, I mean, we, we explained this in the sim before, but you've got the two pilots and you've got observer seats. Now, on a flight, you'd have a couple more pilots somewhere else, or would it be the same guys? So the basic, the core crew is just two crew, um, but because of the, uh, the long flights that we do, we have to carry additional crews to allow the two operating pilots to take rest during the flight. So if you have an engine went down, would you expect the third pilot to show up and basically do this? this yeah, so, so the third pilot would be on the flight deck during approach uh, and, and departure. Um, but um, if something happened during the middle of the flight and he was taking his rest, then probably one of the first things we'd do uh, after after initially flying the aircraft would be to wake him up and get him get him up to help us. Yeah, yeah. So um, what, what else could, can, can we fail for them? Um, you have devious intent. <laughs> yeah. well, we could we could make the weather a little bit more yeah, interesting. Yeah, let's, let's do that. Possibly. So we could give them a bit of a crosswind, for instance. So I think uh, they just detected a little bit of a a change in the wind. Ooh. And with Pretty a, breezy, isn't it? Now with that sort of wind coming into Hong Kong, you. It would come over 
the island to the right of the airport here and caused quite a bit of turbulence, so we could even look at sort of providing that. I think some turbulence would be fun. So at the moment we're on background, but we could go... Now, one of the things I wanted to ask is about... Uh, ooh, oh, wow. We're, 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 it's getting pretty tasty out there at the moment. Um, one of the things I'm going to ask is about um, the, about hours the pilots flying. So you go from here to wherever it is, it's 12 hours. Do you guys put a different emphasis on different parts of the flight? So, for instance, if you fly, fly for 12 hours and 10 hours is level and straight, do you do you put more value on, say, approaches and takeoffs? And how do you record that, if at all? So, so it, it, it's not. I mean, the point... I guess, I guess you're making is, is that as far as developing your skills as a pilot, long haul is not really the environment to do that. Right. Uh, long haul is the environment to bring your skills uh, to the fleet uh, and to maintain them. Oh, here we go. It's going to be... Are they... Are we on the ground? Yeah, we're on the ground. Well done. Well done, gents. That was disappointingly successful. Right, debriefing with Parky. How'd you find that? It's good. It's good so I, I wasn't expecting the engine failure at nine miles, or suddenly a crosswind into Hong Kong. Yeah, weird how that happened, eh? Very strange, very strange. But what, what was interesting, it, it was one of those things when you, you're, you're flying it, and it's lovely to fly, it's great, we were sort of flying as manually as we could, but when Dunk was then going through the drills or shutting the engine down, you know, it, it's the old basic, you know, fly the aircraft yeah. first, just keep it flying. It, so Let's, is that what you did? What, what, what yeah, was so, your scenario? Because I was here, obviously, yeah, so, causing mischief. So Dutch was then going, right, well, we need to, you know, make sure that the, uh, the engine didn't relight, so he's now going to shut the right-hand engine down. So immediately he said, well, look, Paco, you've got the, uh, the throttles now. I kept flying it. He then went for the emergency drills. And bizarrely for me and Dunk, we almost worked as a team, which wow. is, I think, a first. Was it weird for you to watch Dunk panic so much? Yeah, I mean, there were a few tears, but, uh, you know, I think with counselling, he'll get over that. He's uh, <laughs> really flapping. So we're now going to... Uh, do it, as I say, it, not it, as I do. Amazing. It's two Harrier boys flying now. The uh, A380. Let's go straight vertical, I guess. So I imagine they're going to do some arm wrestling competitions first. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and we're off. So um, we're going. Oh, it, it's just getting the feel for how sensitive the nose wheel steering is, isn't it? Because it's just, just you know, trying to nail the centre line for takeoff. And we're about to rotate, and we're off. The feeling of the sim is quite incredible. It is. Don't know how you would. I don't know, how do you replicate that acceleration? Yeah. It is. Oh, so um, I, think, I think we've got some crosswind at the moment. Mike, what, uh, have you put anything on so far? Uh, yeah, so at the moment we've got a, a, a stiffish crosswind, um, about 30, 35 knots. Um, but they've got, I get the engines back, so they're all engine. Right, so. Yeah. For now. So um, we'll go just hush our voice a bit because obviously I don't want to hear those boys. Uh, I don't want those boys to hear what we've got planned. But what, what would be different for you? What would, what would you really not like Well, to I mean, you know, I, I guess we could. We, we've done an engine failure, so that's clearly, you know, there's four engines on this thing. She flew absolutely beautifully on three. But did, we did could. Did you even notice that? Did, did, did a warning like. Yes, we got a, a Martin yeah. and looked down at the engine instruments, and one of them was showing zero. Uh, that was the, the clue I got. But. You know, we can maybe. I mean, it's it, clearly it's Dunk's first time on the uh, on it, but we could, you know, you could fail that like maybe the landing gear not coming down fully. You could, you could maybe make the flaps not work. You know, there's, there's just a myriad obviously of systems with backups, I guess, that 
that would all work, but just seeing how the boys cope with it. But I would say, you know, just a, a stiff crosswind is, you know, the, the, the flying conditions will, will, will make that work a little bit. And obviously that huge ego, he doesn't want to mess it up. <laughs> yes, exactly right. Exactly right. What's actually happened? The, the aircraft is completely operational, but they've got no data. Is that, is yeah, that, is that it? Yeah, that's about right. So, see, at the, when you were flying it, there was no pressure on the stick at all. As you sped up and slowed down, yeah. the computers trimmed the aircraft out. So they oh. moved little controls, you know, making it go up and down, creating a bit more lift or whatever, just so that there was no pressure when you were flying it. Yes. That's been taken out. So poor old Dunk is having to manually like you would a little Cessna 152 he's trimming this Airbus manually to try and take the, the stick force pressure out of his left hand oh really and he, look how wide his eyes are <laughs> <laughs> that's my glasses making do that but I mean the boys are nailing it the speed is pretty much spot on yeah, you know, it, it was we're smack bang on the centre line. So what, what's interesting is that when the power goes on like that, yeah, you yeah, see, yeah, you see just, how quickly you go higher. Yeah. Just gone it's, on very, it's very interesting how much flying is going on. It, it feels a lot more, um, a like lot more real. Something you're not as used to seeing. One thousand. engines on the wing. No, no, not at all. I'm used to having one out front or out back. Yeah. So, so, so guys, exactly coming to a modern jet aircraft with uh, with engines slung beneath the wings yeah. will find that quite disconcerting initially that as they in increase and decrease thrust it creates a moment yeah. and it either pitches the aircraft up or allows the nose to drop. And how would you rate their performance so far? <laughs> Very impressed <laughs> at, uh, to at the point five, that I'm thinking I'm going to have to fail something else. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think you can fail enough things really. Not much left. <laughs> Just getting a little low there, guys. Yeah, yeah, uh, we've got enough speed if you want to pull. Yeah, okay, uh, there we go. Perfect. Just a little bit left of the centre. Oh, yes. Awesome. Well then, chaps. We haven't done it yet. No, yeah. Yeah, <laughs> Let's not. A couple J of hundred feet. JB, this is the tasty bit. Hey, looks like you're doing alright. Right, speed's good. I'm just starting to come back. Okay. 100. 50, 40, 30, 20, retard. Oh. Oh, yeah, so I've got the same, but it, I think it just sits him down, is it? Is that? Uh, no, I think we're, uh, oh, I don't think we're down we yet. Idle. We're good, we're good, we're good. There we are. Right. It's a tiny skip, is it? Yeah. yeah. Well done. Oh, that's really impressive, boys. Is that how it works? Where are we off to? <laughs> yeah. If we walk out the sim now, we're in Hong Kong. It's very realistic. It is impressive. That is awesome. Very impressive. How did you two find that then? But that definitely concentrated the mind. I was, I was probably at the same level as you were, you know, when you were flying the aeroplane for the first time. But just trying to the actual control forces, it was uh, until we said, right, you've got manual trim there and you can start trimming it out. Found it really, it was quite, quite a lot of input onto the stick. What does trim mean, Doug? So uh, the trim... Because uh, I still don't really know. Okay, so um, the, we have the, the, well, the side stick in this case, so it's the control stick that controls the aeroplane. There's a little fire engine. He knows Dunk Man in it. Yeah. <laughs> There's another one on your side. Right. So the you control stick the that, uh, that, that controls the aeroplane, um, depending on what speed and what configuration the aeroplane's in... 
Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High-quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. There's a load that you actually have to hold on that stick. So it, it, it feels for me as if I'm having to pull back on the stick um, to keep the aeroplane in the, uh, it, it, that configuration at that speed and that height. And what you can do by trimming it is it moves control surfaces on the aircraft to take that load off the control column or the side stick in this case. So you, you're not actually ha- you don't have any load on that stick and it then makes it easier to fly. Now, you, you, you see both the majority, if not all of your flying, in sing, single seat. How did you enjoy the interaction of having your mate with you to try and fly the thing? I really enjoyed that. Yeah, I man, too, yeah. You know, with just only a couple of things to concentrate on in terms of, you know, flaps um, and speed throttles, what we were doing there to allow Dunk just to set the attitude and everything. Uh, Seemed, well, I it think, seemed fairly natural, and I quite enjoyed the fact that I wasn't working that hard. Yeah. Well, I think to actually to go back to what Mike was saying initially, I think this is the interesting thing. You, you know, when we look at, at uh, JB, we were saying, "Oh, it's easy to fly." Well, suddenly, when you've got emergencies and the weather's not very good, um, then suddenly there is a lot going on. And actually, I think that would be a very difficult situation if you were a single pilot to be able to say, "Could you just do that, please?" It takes an awful yeah. lot of load off workload off and allows you to concentrate as Goddard was saying on on the bit that you're supposed to so for me in that case was right getting the aeroplane in the right bit of sky to land it and for Goddard he was going to look after the speed and deal with any of the other emergencies that was that were going on so you know it, it, I think it would it would be a very difficult task to do it single pilot and and although it does seem straightforward the you know the tricky bit is knowing where to look you know I was trying to the, the checklist for an emergency comes up on the screens here. Yeah, that was amazing. But what frustrated me, and I think us, is that you don't know where to look, you know, because yeah. we're yeah. unfamiliar with the cockpit, yeah. and you don't know what some of the things are, you know, uh, that, that come up. Because naturally, I wanted to run through the checklist and deal with everything, but we needed Dutch's help there just to, to you know, find the switches or actually push the switches. You know, so although we say, yeah, great job, 
actually we were only doing half of what you were supposed to do there and we weren't talking on the radio and we weren't looking after the, the, uh, the crew at the back yeah. so we were only doing the very basics yeah. of, uh, of what would be required here so as a captain God, yeah. I'm looking at Mike um, there's a huge amount going on in one of those situations so after all the excitement, the engine failures, trimming an aircraft, whatever that means, crosswinds, Hong Kong weather, we decided to have what serious military types call a debrief, or as I call it, a chat with a coffee. Thank you for that, gents. Informative and most fun. But if you had one slot, Mike, and you had to give it to one of these guys, <laughs> which one would you be doing? He can't answer that. I, no, I can't possibly it's answer obviously. that question. I, mean, yeah, it, I haven't worked you, out the yeah, yeah. 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 I mean, the nice part was... Dutch it's was not very, you. Yeah. Dutch, <laughs> Dutch was very candid earlier on, and we both agree on the one individual it should be. But it'd be interesting to get your view too. <laughs> what was interesting was actually how uh, you very quickly adapted to, to, to the aircraft. And I could hear you wittering on to yourselves saying oh I've got a little less less of that a little bit almost coaching each other through it so yeah I could see the thoroughbred trainer aviators in there and, and all three of you yeah and I wouldn't like to pick which be. one yeah. uh, <laughs> I, I think in terms of learning curve it's got to be you JB right so it, zero to hero in to, about four and a half minutes to be fair it's relatively easy to do if you are getting instruction continually and that's what you're I mean, that, that, that was a big deal. I can't imagine how hard it would be if you have no instruction or you've got to work it out yourself. So what was the most difficult bit? What was the bit that you just thought... Just knowing what to do. Like, knowing... Where to look? Where to look, when to turn, what speed it should be. You know, little things like, what are those little modules that's... Oh, well, that's 10 degrees. Brilliant, because I, I thought they were, they were at 5 degrees. It's just these... But, but like, JV, on the first one, you know, you had the full flight director, you know, and it was really with auto throttle. The second time you flew it, you were into Hong Kong with 40 knots from the right, manually flying it with Doug. I mean, that is genuinely it's good effort. I guess you made the point there, Mike, didn't you, that the, the automation in the aeroplane makes it pretty straightforward to operate, which is what you want, because ultimately it's about getting passengers from A to B. It, you know, the flying should be pretty straightforward. You know, mm. uh, it, it's about the people down the back who are paid to, uh, paid to go flying and get somewhere in the world. Exactly that is to is to get people efficiently and safely from 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 A to B. That's that's the name of our game, and um, the technology is there that will allow us to uh, make the flying task not necessarily uh, the most consuming task. Obviously, it's the the most important task, ensuring a safe flight path. But we we need capacity to deal with managing the operation in general, and that's what the automatics. And the flight control laws allow us to do. Now, just kind of take this conversation away from the actual sim a second. Where did the majority of your pilots come from? Are you training many guys up from absolutely no knowledge to A to A380 pilots eventually? Uh, so, a mixture, yeah. So, we have um, new entrant pilots uh, as well as uh, direct entry pilots. So, new entrant pilots will be ones who have who've just done the basic um, flight instruction uh, in order for them to have a, a frozen ATPL. Um, and uh, very often will have paid for it themselves or been sponsored in some way and oh. or we'll be taking people um, from either the, the, the RAF, the Armed Forces or from other airlines. And, and do you have a profile that you, that you prefer? Uh, it sounds like a political answer this. Actually, it's a, it's a broad church and, uh, yeah. and we, we take probably 
the same number of people from all those categories. Um, so it's very much about the individual and how they're going to fit in with the way we operate our aeroplanes. Yeah, I, I guess the point in there is you've just got a, a lot of diversity of experience and skills. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, whilst uh, on the one hand it might be great to recruit someone who's who, who's brand new that we can we can mould them to a certain extent um, uh, in the ways that we want the aircraft to operate. That, that, that's not everything. It's it's great also to bring in experience from from elsewhere. Yeah. So you, do you mention a term there, Mike? ATPL. Um, Air Transport Pilots Licence. Yeah. Um, but ju- I guess looking at both you and Dutch, very different ways of getting your ATPL. Mm. So, Mike, how did you start? So, mine, I, I was a sponsored uh, cadet, so BA, this has must have been about 30 years ago now. I uh, had a scheme where they would um, apply, uh, you could apply to get on the sponsored scheme, you go through a selection process, and if you were successful, you were then sent to a flying college where you got all your professional exams, both flying and ground exams covered, and you got a bare minimum number of hours. So it was around for me. It was about at that time about 200 hours of uh, of flying. Uh, 150 or so were, were just um, um, uh, single engine, and uh, there was a, the rest was uh, multi engine. And there's a little bit of simulator time in there as well. Uh, and that just got you enough. Um, to then take on a conversion course with Bush Airways. So for me, that was onto the 757 here at Heathrow. And uh, and what different aeroplanes you then flown uh, from there? So I started on the 757, which also brought the 767. Uh, then I was 737 for a spell, the DC-10. Um, then the 737 again, that's where I took my command. Um, then A320, where I was for about 10 years. And then I was with the 380 for the last four or five years or so, right from the introduction of the fleet. I guess that's one of the things we can come back to in a minute, that Boeing versus Airbus, because completely different in terms of concepts. But Dutch, a a, a completely different way in, obviously, you know, via... 18 years in the RAF. Yes, I did. Sim. So, but, so how did you get your ATPL and then what was the process? So uh, having the flying experience from the Air Force helped me. So uh, I was able to do a shortened version of ground school uh, per se, which was I did four or five exams, which I did in my own time whilst I was in a desk job in, uh, in the MOD in London. Um, what I then had to do, because I had uh, the prerequisite amount of flying hours... I um, I did a two-week course down in Exeter um, with a, a very well-known flying school for people from the military. They tend to use the school because they're, they're, they're aware of what we require. So I went down there. Um, I did two weeks flying on a, a twin-engine um, aeroplane, which is the, the basic requirement. Got to the end of that, uh, and that gives me a basic instrument rating, uh, which allows me to have a commercial pilot's licence, which isn't quite up at the level of an, an ATPL, but it enables me to get a, a job working for an airline. And then, fortunately uh, for me, joining British Airways, they will then give me the type rating. So I joined BA, and because I had an instrument rating, CPL, I then fly what I needed to fly in the simulator. Uh, when I joined, which was in the region of eight to 10 simulators, and at the end of that, I get a rating on the A320, which is what I did for five years. So I did five years on the 320, um, and then moved across to the 380. Not long, Mike, Mike bought the aeroplane into service, and then about six months later, 
um, I snuck in uh, at the bottom end of the list in at the end of 2013. So, so you're an Airbus boy throughout. So I'm Airbus through and through, yeah. which yeah. is interesting actually, because I couldn't give you an answer on this sort of Boeing yeah. Airbus yeah. thing. But like, there is a lot of people are either they love Boeing or they love Airbus, but not both. Oh, is really. Mike's the uh, yeah? So the one to answer I, um, that one. There are differences in the same way that if you got into a different make of motor car, you would see themes about the way it's designed. Um, I wouldn't like to say one is definitely better or worse than, than the other, just just different. Um, and in fact, the aircraft I most like flying was a McDonnell Douglas, we haven't mentioned that one. DC-10. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, um, but... Um, yeah, obviously from the manufacturer's point of view, what that gives you is the ability to to convert relatively easily within the family of aircraft that they make. That, that's that's the advantage. Um, and um, so you you did a shorter course, I guess. Uh, yes, when I came from the 320 to the 380. If you had the chance to have a look into the 320 sim and you walked in there, you would find it remarkably similar. Yeah. To what you've just seen, so not exactly the same. Just similar. not exactly the same, but the the philosophy is all the same. Most of the uh, the switches, the the thrust levers, the screens, they all display everything in in a remarkably similar yeah. format. So the the idea, and correct me if I'm wrong, Mike, is Airbus's philosophy is that you should be able to get into any of their aircraft, and it shouldn't take you long to adjust to flying. So rather than having two thrust levers, uh, I've now got four. Now, there's subtle differences in the way you operate the aeroplane, but in essence, you should be able to um, do things in the same way as I did on the uh, on the A320. So, as Mike says, I did a, a much more condensed course when I came across to the 380, which obviously saves money. Well, and, it, uh, uh, and it makes training far easier, I guess. And, yeah. and sort of on that note, I mean, we were just mentioning earlier, Mike, that you got you said you'd got into training at a... An early stage, and uh, but we didn't we didn't sort of explore that. So, mm. how did you get into that training game? Uh, so we, um, the instructors we have in BA, we, we have training captains uh, who obviously train in the simulator and on the aircraft, um, and we have training co-pilots as well, which offers the opportunity for our co-pilots to uh, to get into instructing only in the simulator, obviously because they don't have a holder command, mm. so mm-hmm. they're not able to instruct on the aircraft. So I took advantage of that. So I was a co-pilot on the DC-10. The opportunity came up to get into instruction and uh, went through the interview process. I'm sure we've all been through those kind of interview processes. Mm -hmm. I haven't had an interview Uh, in 30 years. (laughs) (laughs) I'm a bit terrified when I step out the door. Uh, Yeah, so I'm not quite sure. But anyway, it worked out for me. And uh, and, uh, And Did you go through a course then of instructor training? Yeah, so a number of courses. Um, To be honest, that instructor course is, is probably and the instructor training of the, the tougher courses that, that we do rightly so mm. um, so it started with a bit of um, basic teaching theory so away from the aircraft and the simulator just about teaching theory the way people learn that sort mm. of thing um, and uh, and then you equipped with that little bit of knowledge you then have a go at the technical training conversion training essentially in the simulator that allows you to become a type rating instructor at TRI. And on top of that, uh, you, you become an examiner so that you can not only train people but check to see that they've reached the, the right standard. Yeah. Now, if you're a training co-pilot, it stops there, and that's now you qualify to to do uh, to instruct and to examine in the simulator. Um, 
as a training captain, you then go on into learning how to instruct on the aircraft, um, uh, which we do. We do a, a tiny amount of empty aircraft-based training. So I did that on the on the 320. Um, so very raw, brand new pilots will do a certain amount of training on the aircraft with no passengers on board, just to hone their skills. Usually, at very close to the ground, takeoff and, uh, and landing technique. Um, but most of the instruction thereafter in your career is all done on board with on revenue services. So you, you hold the rating, it's, it's fine-tuning, and you're under supervision, essentially. Yeah. It, it's um, interesting, actually, on that point, because I, I had no idea when I joined BA that uh, that, that's, that actually happened. And it's, 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 it's interesting that it was a novel concept to me that, that training would be conducted with, uh, with, with passengers but actually there's, there's, it's perfectly normal yeah. um, and uh, you, know, you don't have the, um, the time, the money to, to, to do all the training that you might do with an empty aeroplane if you're doing sort of 8 to 10 uh, line sectors you couldn't it, it's not sustainable it, it's more think, finesse is it? isn't it you mean you're not working out how to land the aircraft it's just operating it and Absolutely. the nuances of that yeah. with the passengers on board yeah yeah, yeah. yeah. but then you went sorry to, to to move on so just to sort of then explore a little further so you sort of got into that training role but we've already mentioned um that uh, dutch said earlier that you accepted the a380 or as part of that team accepting the a380 into service yeah. how did you come about to go well, actually, Mike's a very experienced dude. We're going to get him to to do this. Was there is there a test flight element to it? Or? Yet another interview. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, 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 unfortunately. Yeah. yeah. So uh, so by the time I'd got there, I, I was what we call a training standards captain. So um, that that uh, that means you're training other instructors on the 320, and we knew that we had to get a team a team together to introduce the 380, um, and uh, that involved um, uh, a manager. Uh, and three to lead instructors essentially uh, and I interviewed for the post of that that's how I got into that mm-hmm. um, uh, and that was that was a really interesting time I'm touching you must have found that you know it was quite interesting being involved yeah. in an aircraft you know yeah. fleet when you only have one two aircraft yeah. initially so, were you picking brand new aircraft up from Toulouse and yep so there's customer acceptance sort of flights uh, uh, that, that you get involved with we were doing we, we had to do an element of non-revenue training as well so one of the in fact we're just going through this process I'm, I'm quite involved with the 350 introduction which is our latest new aeroplane uh, to come and getting the training plan together for that but uh, one of the interesting things is when you first get an aeroplane it doesn't fly enough sectors enough flights if you like from A to B to give you the number of training sectors you require to get your pilots through so um, you have to try and organise and work out how you're going to get around that problem uh, on the 380 that uh, that meant that, that problem was particularly acute because we were flying routes that required more than two pilots and I don't know whether we've mentioned that before so each new aircraft would arrive and we'd need 20 to 25 new pilots just like that mm. Um, and, and one of the ways to start getting the sectors was to fly an empty aircraft around, um, uh, which is obviously a fairly costly thing to do, um, uh, to, to get the experience up. Um, so, so have you got a, 
a computer model that you're using to see what the most efficient way of doing that is, or is it? Yeah, experience? we've got some very talented people that we're working for who can do things with spreadsheets. I didn't even know you could do <laughs> um, uh, to, to try and to try and model exactly how we how we make that training program work. It's that's one thing that I'd always wondered about the airline industry is the operation side and just how flipping complicated yeah. that must be. So <sighs> you, you've already spoken there about you know the. the Pilots that you would need on board. Clearly, you know, if you're doing the revenue stuff, you've got a full crew mm. down the back, and just the positioning around the world of individuals yeah. so that you are never missing a flight yeah. must. I mean, I don't know whether the operations centre here at Heathrow has got thousands of people in, or if there's just one person and a really big computer doing this. I, I don't know. I think Mike's probably seen more experience of it, but I'm the same as you. I've not. I, I just don't know how they do it. It's, it's quite what, incredible. What boggles my mind is if you you're at an airport, you've got a you, you've got a plane full of people, and the aeroplane goes US. So we haven't got one just round the corner to come and get them. So then that would must then shuffle on to everything. It must be a it massive does. concertina. It, it, it impacts the operation and so that's where we as as uh, as pilots here we can actually um, step in step in and, and make life a lot easier for our customers and for the ground staff because we're not just you know the people that take the aeroplane from A to B. We'll we'll also sort of engineer things um, if we can uh, when they are crossed down route. So we need to manage the situation properly, make sure that uh, 470, 469 people are, are well looked after. Um, so if that means you know a, a short period, you maybe two hours, uh, <laughs> uh, 469 cappuccinos. <laughs> it's rare, though, right? I mean, for them to break down route is it, they're, they're it's serviceable. They're very they're much more serviceable than what you're used to yeah, in, in, the, yeah. in, in the military. Because the, yeah. the military, we tend to we use things to the extreme, don't we? Or we always did things to the extreme, so things broke. Um, but in obviously in, in in the commercial world. That's that's yeah. a, a huge cost. Well, it's a, so, it, right. it's it's one of those things that we found in the military in the last few years when missions have got longer on the operations that we've been in. So when you're talking a seven or eight hour mission, that's when the airplanes are more serviceable, which is what you guys are doing the whole time. They just mm. continue. Aircraft flying, do like they? to fly, don't they? Yeah, they, they, they do they like to fly. Keep, keep working. It's only yeah. when you stop yeah. them flying that that's when they yeah. you know, get a little bit cold. Yeah. I, I think uh, uh, on the three eighty, I think one. One time in the last five years, I've I've actually got off the aeroplane because it's been wow. broken. Wow. Just once. Yeah, it's amazing. It is. The, the, the serviceability record is really good. Fantastic team of engineers who do the same job as um, as our engineers in the military used to do, um, and that did keep it going. You know, it's great. Um, Can I ask Mike very quick one? Did you? Ever have a sniff at Concord? Did you want to get onto that fleet? Was that something? Not the How did that sit in BA World? So, uh, all our fleet opportunities, are, the, the backbone to it is, is guys have an opportunity to bid based on their seniority to fleets. Um, I mean, obviously, still people have to get through courses, that, that sort of thing. Uh, Concord didn't op- offer much of an opportunity. It's a small fleet, only had a, a handful of pilots that, that, that were on it. And obviously, it was quite quite popular. So you had to be the right person yeah. at the right time, really, 
uh, to get a shot at uh, Concord. But we've got a couple of guys that uh, fly on our fleet who ex Concord boys, yeah, who really? had that opportunity. Okay. Yeah, uh, just 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 brought that conversation. Everyone, I, I was just about to say, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> as soon as you mentioned that, Dutch started smiling. So I assume the when I was on Concord stories. <laughs> <laughs> A wee walk. Imagine they've got like the, the Concord cufflinks, <laughs> 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 arm tattoos. It's like your one, isn't it? How do you know there's a Harrier pilot in the room? He'll tell you. It's uh, you know, <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. So, I, 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 well, it's an interesting but, point I was going to bring up. Actually, do you, I mean, you know, clearly you, you probably no idea from a, a BA perspective. But do you think that supersonic air travel is going to come back or? Is the juice not worth the squeeze in terms of the amount you have to pile into technology in order to do this, therefore is not financially viable for most of the airlines around? You're going to need someone like um, Tesla um, to, to go and do this first and then for the technology to become sort of commonplace outside mm. of the business market. Mm. You, you've got to find the market for it, haven't you? I think that's the, obviously a BA found a market for it on London to New York and we've already alluded to you that that's probably one of our biggest routes you know, as far as the amount of people we carry between two places. So you've got to find the, the market for you which is ultimately going to give you the return on the expenditure and the, and the development yeah. costs. Um, and, and, and add to that that Concorde is only really going to give you a benefit on 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 a long flight. Um, you know, you, could ha- you can have a Concorde going to Paris and back but you're not going to reap the benefits it's, um, uh, of it there as well, so it's 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 constrained on the sort of routes where where you get a benefit, and you've also got to ensure that you can get those development costs back. It's regulation, so I mean, you're not allowed to fly supersonic over the United States, mm. so you can't go coast to coast. You've got to get the right routes. Would well, you remember, G? But we didn't get to go and see him at Farnborough actually. But there's a uh, it's a boom. You think it was doing? boom? Yeah. So there's a private company, you know, an Elon Musk type individual, I guess, financing it. Um, that are looking at its business jet, BizJet, mm. supersonic air travel, um, just to try and shorten, I guess, those sort of, you know, London to Australia, uh, London to Sydney, or, or mm. whatever it happens to be, or cross-Pacific type, uh, type stuff, which will be interesting. And But I guess from that conversation, although, you know, driverless cars might only be five years away for us, supersonic air travel is probably 20 years plus, you know, given... I guess so, yeah. Well, I've got um, one, one last question, unless you've got any others, because I, I found this quite... quite quite interesting I'd like to know um, most of your three opinions on how it felt uh, with the au- with the auto landing and if you feel a little bit uh, in- intimidated by that well you boys are in the seat what do you think I mean the absolute similarity was doing terrain following radar that Dutch did so he would have flown a tornado at ultra low level through mountains not at night or in cloud not seeing a thing but knowing there is granite flashing past you at 420 knots which I've never done but to me that's like that seems unnatural and obviously you trust in the kit and it's just the ultimate of that and you know it, it was unnatural you know we landed in fog and at 50 foot you could see maybe one light now I've never done that before and you know talk about trusting in the machinery and and the equipment and you know it's monitoring isn't it everything is good because I, I, I didn't think I did. No, Dunk, you did see a light. I saw a light. I definitely did. You yeah, need your eyes to see a light. Come to the light. <laughs> but it's that, extraordinary. That, that, you know, the, the first thing I saw was the threshold, and then it landed. Yeah. Yeah. It was astounding. And actually, yeah. the, the thing that the 
the uh, the realism that the simulator gave. I, you know, it, clearly we spoke about throughout the fact that there was a lot of realism involved, but that to me was the most realistic part. It felt, it feels like we're in cloud. You've still got the turbulence on the aeroplane. It felt as and if we were actually doing that. And you know, you're, you're looking at the radar altimeter, so you're just, you know, it's counting down. You know, two hundred foot, a hundred foot, fifty. The ground is coming up at you, yeah. and you're looking at fog, yeah. and then suddenly. It was the best landing all day, wasn't it? The one that the airbus did. The one that the airplane did. It's amazing, amazing, um, Extra amazing uh, piece of kit yeah. to do that. And, and Dutch was telling me at the time about the the system on there because GPS is so accurate that it will take you to the um, uh, to the taxiway that you're turning yeah. off um, yeah. on that particular runway, which is amazing. I think. You know, having stood behind the seats watching it, the thing that really stood out to me is exactly what you just said, Doug. The realism in the simulator, which is something we've gone a lot towards simulation now in the military world, and is a it's a live debate right now in terms of carrier, in terms of F thirty five, because the US Navy, for example, there is nothing like flying to see whether you can get a three wire. The recent carrier trials for us have shown that actually the F thirty five is easy to go and land. So how much lifeline do you actually take away? And there's always the discussion about, is it realistic inside a sim? Now that one in there, where you've got some fairly restricted windows, you don't need to see a huge amount, I think. And the, and the way that those hydraulic jacks felt like you were taxiing over centerline lights, you know, felt like when the spoilers are out, felt yeah. like when you were... I mean, that felt... I, I guess with fast jet, G is the thing, isn't it? Yeah. You do not have an airliner, so you can make it so realistic, whereas you can never... No, you know, unless you're in a centrifuge, I mean, simulate pulling 7G, which is a kind of important bit of fast jet training, for example. But the acceleration and deceleration when yeah, we jumped on the brakes was identical to flying an aircraft. It felt like we're thundering down it a runway. It was amazing, wasn't yeah. it? You know, and so I, I mean, I don't know what you guys think, but to me, that is sort of the 98%, yeah. you know, give, give yeah. or take visuals, but you know, that fog. Looked exactly how it looks outside the window. In and we, we talk about when we talk about synthetic training, I bang on about it all the time about the fact that you can't you can't emulate that fear factor. That right, I'm now actually in an aeroplane and I'm now going to throw myself at the enemy, and then they're going to fire stuff at me, and then I've got to come back and you know lead a four ship back in terrible weather and get it on the ground. It's fine in a simulator because you know wow, that's exactly the point, and that's exactly the point that I made. But and the point is, is how do you make those synthetic systems um, create a biological reaction, a human reaction? Just get the skull that, crusher one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Have the uh, <laughs> have that fear factor there, and and to me, that um, Cat Three ILS is mm. what, what it was. Good. That induced that. I literally had that. That I'm on the edge of my seat, my pilot seat here, going, "Where's the runway?" There it is. So it, you know, it proves that synthetic training can do that, but it's just how do you do it? And it's the realism that you've got to invoke to, to create those reactions. And it's probably one for, uh, for another pod, but the, it's the philosophy behind it as well. Parky, you mentioned the G. So military sims don't have hydraulic jacks that move us around anymore. The Harrier, you remember the Harrier sim used to mm. years ago. because of, of Harrier, mate. Yeah. Well done. Um, were you Harriers? When we were both on the Harriers. Yeah. Um, Sorry about this, Mike. This will now last another hour. <laughs> you remember the good old days. Um, but they just, there's no point in doing that now. Um, 
visuals are so much more difficult in a military sim because you're looking over your shoulder at say 360 it's a dome yeah. you know how do you do yeah. that how do you do dog fighting Correct. in a simulator when and a lot of what you do formation is, is, flying which is a, a core yeah. skill that we did I've never really I mean no. it's good in the typhoon sim but it's not the same it genuinely tanking is not the same as for real yeah. so that that philosophy has to be that you are therefore not replacing live flying with simulated flying, which I think you guys can actually do. Exactly. And it's, you know, you've just proven you can do it. With the sort of the, the envelope that we operate in, which is it's much perfect. more limited, you can make it very, yeah. very real. Yeah. So that, that, and, and I think that's the bottom line. Yeah. The, the, the same philosophy in all simulators, though, is you know whether it's emergencies, whether it's you know just doing the reps, means that when you go and do it for real, you are so practiced in it. Then you know it's just second nature. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. I mean, I guess these virtual reality goggles that are coming up—that's well, that's going to be the the next thing. And I, I, I suspect in your you know in your environment that that will help with the reality yeah. much much more. You did some in the states, didn't you? I did. Yeah. We, we're we're involved in a project that uh, the United States Air Force is yeah. leading at the moment called uh, Pilot Training Next, which looks mm. at just that. Mm. Um, it's looking at. Uh, how do you reduce the time through training so you can um, produce better pilots quicker? Mm. Um, and it's in its infancy at the moment, mm. but it's got huge potential, mm. as you say, mm. huge potential. And, uh, and it's even got crossover to us, the fact that you can have someone with a pair of goggles on yeah. pretending to do their scan flows and setup patterns in the early parts of ground school yeah. uh, would be great. Yes, you know, yeah. And it means you need less expensive and sophisticated simulators to, oh, yeah. to do that early part of the training. Yeah. Yeah. So as head, head of training for a fleet, yeah. is it up to you to go and look and see how you might improve training or have you got like an R&D department that, that no you know, we have within like, flight ops we you know we we have uh, so each fleet will have uh, a, a training manager on it um, and then we have a, a head of training who sits above that and, and and as a group obviously we look to to advance our, our training as much as as we can uh, whether it's in training techniques or or, or, or in the hardware um, so because uh, I don't think you can improve much more on the, on, the, on the simulator box that we've just been into but I think it's, it's more about our training techniques yeah, exactly. these days mm-hmm. we're bringing in uh, evidence based training for instance which moves away from repeating the same old test scenarios that I've done for the best part of 30 years in my career and looking more at the way that pilots deal with problems and actually the problem itself is, is not what you're training you're training about the way that they yeah. deal with problems right well thank you Thank you so much for hosting us, um, and hopefully we'll uh, you know, nip in again. There's another 15 sims. Well, there you go. That was our day out in the BA simulator. Thank you so much to Mike and so much to Dutch for having us there and just making the whole day possible. And also thank you to you too, the listener, for bothering to download this and you know just making it worth our while doing all these shows. We absolutely love doing them. And if you like what you hear, well, go and leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. If you want to get in touch, you can do that too because we're on Twitter, at Pilot Episodes. Until next week, when we'll be back in the less impressive surroundings of my studio, I will leave you with this wonderful, wonderful music, which frankly I think I might adopt as the podcast music now. Anyway, thank you for listening and look out for our next episode.
Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Sick of being upsold at gyms? My guy, you're currently a base member? For $90 more, I can upgrade you to our Shred membership. For $130 more, you'll be a swole member. And for just $300 more, you'll reach Sweat Platinum. At Planet Fitness, you'll get energy without the upsell. Never pushy, always free fitness training and equipment for every workout. It's fitness that fits your budget. Join Planet Fitness for just $1 down and $10 a month. Cancel anytime. Deal ends Friday, May 10th. See Home Club for details.